Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to another week from busy Wisconsin. We had our primary election this week. We will definitely get into that with our panel, but our panel is here. They are still safely at home. That means Claire Zauke is with us. Claire is our healthcare director. Claire, good good uh, to have you with us again this week. Thank you. Good to see you. Yes, and uh, we do get to see each other. Thank you, Zoom, for that. And as always, Robert Craig, executive director uh, with Citizen Action, is with us. Robert, good to have you. Oh, it's great to be here. Good day, everyone. It's a big week. Um, we record Thursday mornings, and... Uh, we had a big week because we had a partisan primary here in Milwaukee, or excuse me, in Wisconsin, I should say. And uh, Citizen Action was extremely involved in that. We will talk more about that. Uh, we are also going to talk, uh, get started by talking about the big news uh, this week in terms of President Biden. President Biden, listen to me. Oh, my God. Uh, Democratic nominee Biden uh, picking his vice presidential uh, nominee uh, and that was a huge decision this week. And so we're going to obviously uh, talk about Kamala Harris being selected, which is a historic, historic selection. Um, we will also be joined by Emily Segrist. She is running for state assembly in a suburban uh, Milwaukee seat. Uh, we're very excited to have her. She's a co-op member. And this is her second run, and we think she's got a hell of a good chance to win. So we're looking forward to talking to Emily later in the show. But um, Claire, I'm going to kick it to you to start our conversation here. Um, this was big news. We've been we've been waiting. This has been kind of sleepy in terms of um, since uh, Senator Sanders was vanquished by Bernie or by Biden. Um, it's been kind of quiet because we've been stuck in COVID, and and uh, Senator Biden uh, has been very good about being health conscious and you know not going out in public. Uh, so this is really sort of the first really big news of the campaign uh, with, this, uh, with the uh, selection of Kamala Harris. So I wanted to get your thoughts. This is uh, historic in nature because uh, she is going to be, would be the first African-American uh, and female vice president of the United States. Claire? This is, I don't know how many other folks are in the in the boat as me, but this is the choice that I um, expected he'd, uh, Biden had been um, really open about his commitment to choose a woman. And so we knew that the pool was pretty small uh, of folks that he, from which he could select. Um, and uh, it seemed to me like Kamala Harris um, had some of the most uh, sort of lengthy executive and um, federal level experience of the folks that he was looking at. Um, and it, it seems clear to me that he's somebody who values um, experience pretty highly. I mean, you know, heck, he was, he's been in the Senate and involved in federal government for um, decades. Um, and it also seems like she was doing um, a fair amount of stumping and surrogate appearances for him. Um, she, she actually did a surrogate event for the Biden campaign that we helped out on around health care. A number of weeks ago, so I was not uh, I was not surprised at all by this choice. Um, I I think that there um, that there are I certainly folks on the progressive side who who you know wish that it had been um, you know somebody like Stacey Abrams or Elizabeth Warren chosen, um, but I I think that the you know the choice of Kamala Harris 
presents us with a world in which you know we we will have to work hard to make sure that our elected officials are accountable to us and that we will try to keep moving them to the left um, but that's you know that's something that we are going to have to do no matter what under a biden presidency so so i think it's historic i think it's good i expected it and you know it's just another reason why we got to keep up the work robert what do you think so i'm going to hazard to disagree slightly with the frame of our illustrious host. I don't think it's the biggest <laughs> news of the campaign. The biggest news of the campaign is the massive movement on platform and the joint task force reports between Senator Sanders's policy team and Biden's, which move this platform further left than any post uh, Vietnam and post-Watergate Democratic platform. You have to go back to the 1960s. And whether that will hold in this administration, that is the biggest move. And it will be remembered the most in history. Now, VP matters, but it's also overstated. I think that uh, the hype around it and maybe even the strategic delay you know, waiting to roll it out when they were seeing how much positive press it was getting and how much attention it was getting for a lot of women leaders, which was positive because it helped educate the country how many qualified women leaders and women leaders of color there really are, which you can easily lose track of in our media culture. So that was all positive, but it built it up even further. And so it's fortunate because certainly it worked as far as fundraising, the immediate rollout, it seemed exciting. And the fact that uh, Kamala Harris is an effective campaigner and dynamic is very good right now because she stepped up and gave a very good speech yesterday and really put uh, Trump on the defensive. And, and, and he's wailing away and saying sexist and sexist things back at her, of course, as he does with strong women, as, as Biden pointed out. Uh, Claire's right that this was the expected safe pick, really. I would have, on this whole list, this would actually be my second choice, because I also agree with Claire, it needs to be an African-American woman because of this moment and the incredible loyalty of black women to this party and all they have done for it. And so that removes the white women. She's also, of the people in the moderate wing, the one with the most progressive credentials in the moderate wing. Now, the only candidate I would have ranked ahead of her is Karen Bass, who is in the progressive wing, but is beloved by moderates and even Republicans, and I thought was the perfect mix, but she's not as dynamic a campaigner. Uh, but I thought Karen Bass would have been the best because it's a crossover choice between progressives and moderates. But I think uh, Kamala Harris is second best. From what Matt says, it sounds like I try to, unfortunately, I have to make myself look at social media. I don't enjoy it. Uh, there's some sort of bloodletting on social media, but I looked at the progressive major magazines, high circulation progressive magazines. Uh, Mother Jones and the Nation are all over it as positive. Uh, uh, American Prospect says that she's you know, malleable like Biden and has moved left and has a progressive voting record recently, but not as a prosecutor. Therefore, she is probably best case and the safe choice, and she will move if we can keep the climate progressive with progressives, which uh, some leading progressive leaders who have had contact with her have told me they think, too, about her. So she's movable, even if she's not totally with us in anything, but she has the fifth most progressive voting record in the U.S. Senate. And so she has moved left even before this election, but she wasn't before so much. 
which may, which hence the malleability in these times, which is the most progressive of the mass circulation progressive magazines, is more skeptical, but still says that she supports a lot of progressive positions and that she's highly malleable and does not have a conniption. But when I went on the Jeff Santos show, and that's where I learned about it because I was in meetings and it just happened 15 minutes ago, he and his callers, he's out of Boston, he's on the Milwaukee and Madison stations, I'm on his show every week, uh, he, they were having a bloodletting, like it was the end of the world. So there is that part of the left, but it's smaller than you think. And so I think that's so huge. She's got, great on climate, by and, the way, and, huge on climate. So I just got to interrupt you. First of all, I'd never suggested there was a bloodletting going on. I, I, there certainly has been, and I think, you know, people have expressed questions around progressivity. And there were certainly some folks, uh, as you had mentioned, uh, who had hoped for uh, some some other candidates. Um, I do think this is bigger than whatever perceived platform Joe Biden has quoted signed on to. I think that's, we all know that that stuff is just what people talk about, but like, this is huge. This has been big news. It's massive public news. I think it's also very critical to motivate, uh, you know, folks in our, our uh, democratic uh, party and base that we need to make sure uh, get out and vote. And I, you know, I just, and I think she energizes uh, some folks that uh, Biden doesn't, even if she is not as progressive as some of the other choices. Um, but I do hear you, Robert. I'm not trying to say that uh, Biden sort of uh, tacking to the left isn't important. I just don't know that it he'll, that's necessarily how he'll actually govern. I do think it is a big deal that she was selected and I do think it's the biggest news, but I uh, I, I hear what you're saying. Uh, Claire, I wanted to give you one uh, final opportunity before we go to break. I guess my last thought is that I think Kamala plays well on the small screen. I think she is, and maybe it's, maybe it's all the time she spent as a lawyer, right? Um, but she's really engaging on the small screen. And so much of this campaign is going to play out over the small screen. It's going to play out over Zoom calls. It's going to play out over television, on laptop screens, on smartphone screens. And she is really engaging, and she's, she feels really natural. I just watched a YouTube video of her making South Indian food with Mindy Kaling, the South Indian comedian. And I was laughing. I was like, oh, I wish I were in this kitchen cooking potato curry with you. So I think that that is also a positive for the Biden campaign, and I would not be surprised if is um, a, one of the reasons why they are excited to have her on the ticket. Yeah, I I, I share it. I I also think it it actually speaks well of Biden because um, there was all this much made somehow that um, her attacks on him are some big deal. But I you know I just think he this this shows that he's he's smart and he's I think he's also made a good match for him. It's a good pairing. So with that though. <laughs> Our producers letting us know we have got to go. We got to go to break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Um, we were talking about the, the choice of Senator Harris, and uh, Robert Craig has his hands up. He wants one more comment before we go on to talk about. We we definitely want to talk about what happened in our partisan primaries this week, Robert. Look, I don't totally disagree with what you, with you and Claire said at the end, but I got to clarify here whether Biden is really moving left or not, whether he has really taken on Franklin Delano Roosevelt 
and the New Deal as his model is not is extremely critical to the future of the country because if he governs like Clinton or Obama, uh, not only is this party going to split up because progressives are bolting and there's going to be a, a bloodletting, but the problems of the country won't be resolved, which are immense, and that will probably make him a one-term president. So that is way more important, I'm sorry to say, than the VP candidate, unless the VP candidate was such a disastrous choice, say Schreiber with McGovern, that it damages the ticket. Most of them don't. They don't deliver states anymore, like in the old days when LBJ could deliver Texas. Uh, but it matters at the margins, and it's very critical that we have a, a landslide here so we can take the Senate. Otherwise, you also can't govern. So I think it's extremely important, but I think it's the second most important thing. And the reason some progressives are so concerned is they're concerned that it's going to reflect appointments. And if the appointments are all from the moderate ring when it comes to the Treasury Secretary, the Health and Human Services Secretary, the economic team, then we're sunk because the Obama team, uh, whatever you think of, of Barack's uh, eloquence, the importance of the first black president would be disastrous in this historical moment. All right. And with that, I want to switch the conversation to the primary that we just had this Tuesday. Some of the things that were most interesting about it is obviously this is one of the continuing our path to moving towards increasingly using the absentee ballot in the time of COVID. Uh, we had well over half a million COVID absentee ballots. Uh, uh, come back in a in what is you know these are low turnout partisan primaries but we're also seeing a move where uh, a lot of more democratic voters are uh, using the absentee where republicans are showing up or being more open to showing up on election day that was also borne out in the marquette poll uh, but this was a big primary in terms of a couple of things there were some really important races that i want to get people's comments on one was Christina Shelton up in uh, the Green Bay area, defeating Stash Krasinski in that primary. That was something uh, Citizen Action had endorsed, and she is a Citizen Action co-op member. Claire, just want to get your thoughts. This is this was a big race. It was something uh, Citizen Action moved fairly early on uh, in endorsing uh, uh, Christina, and uh, she won by a very large margin. This just makes me so happy. It makes my little feminist heart warm and proud. Uh, Christina ran just an incredible race during a really challenging time. I mean, it is hard to take out an incumbent, even if that incumbent is embroiled in a scandal. Um, and it's doubly hard to do so at a time when you can't talk to voters in the same way or in the same capacity as you usually do. And so uh, the fact that she won that race by such a large margin uh, shows the strength of her uh, her work and her commitment to the community. Um, but uh, I think I think also the strength of her message and her positive attitude and the strength of her progressive platform. And I'm also really proud of us as an organization for taking a strong stance in this race so early. Um, so, so like I said, I, I was just thrilled to see the outcome of that election. Uh, and it is worth pointing out, Robert, I want to get your comments. Uh, it is worth pointing out that Citizen Action members were involved deeply both within her campaign and volunteering and helping, but also uh, uh, help, helping make calls and, and get out the vote, giving out the vote for uh, Christina. Robert? 
I agree with what Claire said. I I just want to even specify here further on top of what Claire said that this represents it's important to say a woman would take out an incumbent who used all of the power of incumbency to try to hold on to his office despite his scandal. Uh, and despite his scandal, even if let's say it's not true and 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 Representative uh, uh, Grzynski is innocent, so they're, they're really that doesn't that's not the overwhelming evidence right now. But let's say it's true because of this narrative, he doesn't have the moral authority to lead the whole district, and so we get more into this idea that it's like a criminal case. And are we throwing him in jail? And is it due process and uh, beyond reasonable doubt? That is not the standard. The standard is. Are you in a position to authentically represent the whole district? And way too many women and men who care about these issues would be are uncomfortable with him. And so that we keep getting confused about that, about crime and criminal standards, losing your job. That's a different standard in the workplace versus your right to be the one representative of a district. But furthermore, Christina Shelton is it's important that she's a woman who took uh, uh, took this, it took Sasha out, uh, Representative Krasinski. It is also important, though, that she is a strong progressive because feminism also has to do with changing the patriarchal structures in our society, like how our economy and our healthcare system is rigged against women. And so it's, it's a deeper level of feminism. And we need to combine both. We need women who also want to help other women by using their office to change oppressive structures. And Christina Shelton's the real deal. She's both. Yeah, Robert, I'm really glad you mentioned that. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to lead in talking about her is because she is going to be so amazing on taking on those structures. It is worth pointing out um, that this Tuesday, another woman, who was brave enough and stood up and uh, took out uh, someone who also had this kind of history. Uh, Marissa Bell Cabrera won her primary. She was challenged from the right by a really sleazy uh, pro-voucher candidate who went after her uh, for courageously standing up and speaking truth about how lousy that COVID bill was uh, and voting against it and went after her on all kinds of stuff. But the voters saw through that and she won fairly handily. But uh, she also, like uh, Christina, uh, was courageous and took on uh, a lot of these institutions. And she is fighting the same structural, uh, fighting for structural change. So um, that was very important. Also, um, I want to get uh, thoughts on uh, Supreme Moore Umakunde. We are so happy that Supreme could win. Supreme is just going to be a dynamite leader on climate and climate with an equity lens, a racial equity lens, and making sure that we take full advantage of this opportunity uh, to restructure our economy. Robert, I know I'm going to give you first on, on Supreme. I know you have very strong thoughts on Supreme. Just real quick, more generally, this also continues the pro a progressive sweep in Democratic primaries, and that's partly what's moving moderates to the left. They ran more left in the presidential than ever before. Biden's moved even further left in the joint task force agreement and the platform, and it's talking that way. And so this is one of the reasons, because the Democratic establishment is often, including at the national level with the House Democrats and the Senate Democrats, tried to put their uh, thumb on the scale and help moderates who are business friendly. You can raise money from big interests. 
to win these primaries. And they're very worried about what went on in St. Louis, what went on, almost went on in Kentucky in that Senate primary and probably should have. I think Mr. Uh, Mr. Booker uh, should have won that race if he didn't get later start and all the early voting that was ahead of him. Uh, but that is very important. And that's happening in Wisconsin. I said re- repeatedly that our Senate and Assembly caucuses are to the right of the mainline Democrats right now nationally. These candidates start to change that. There's also a big move in diversity. But obviously, Supreme, and I'll let Claire say more because I had the floor here, Supreme is a wonderful example of both. And it's climate and equity, but it's everything. Uh, Supreme has a complete progressive movement analysis and is one of the most thoughtful people I know. We've had the opportunity to have him on our staff, and he will be until he's inaugurated because he doesn't actually get paid as an assembly person until he's uh, sworn in in January. Uh, But he's just a wonderful addition. There are a number of other wonderful additions as well. And Marissa Bell Cabrera was retained. She was a a wonderful addition from the past uh, uh, cycle. I I agree with Robert. I don't have too much more to add. Um, I've also had the pleasure of working with Supreme um, and know what a dedicated public servant he is and that uh, you know, he he is not somebody who's running for office because um, he you know wants a title or wants accolades. Um, he he genuinely wants to be in the community doing work um, to to serve people and to make his district the the best possible place it can be for um, for his people to live. So um, I'm I'm really excited for him, and I I'm really excited about the opportunity to co-govern with him and to to uh, to advance our shared policy priorities. It is also before we go to break, and we're going to have to unfortunately uh, butt up against the break here. Uh, worth pointing out that uh, Robert, you mentioned this. We're going to have one of the most diverse state legislatures next year in at least the state's history. Uh, we have a long way to go, and uh, it's not saying like. Uh, everything's great. But uh, in Madison, um, we we have uh, two people of color who are now going to be in the state assembly, which is extremely, extremely exciting. And unusually, uh, it looks like we're going to have our first African-American uh, Republican uh, state legislator in over 100 years. But actually, we got to run, unfortunately. Got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin or Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin or Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Uh, it is worth pointing out, Robert, your favorite poll came out this week, the Marquette U Law Poll. And I think uh, most of our listeners uh, certainly heard some of the top lines, right? Uh, we know that Biden is up uh, by about five points. And this is it's a little closer than I think most people would think, but it's definitely within the margin of error of what we've been seeing. Biden's been anywhere from five to eight, nine points uh, with a lead. And that certainly comports with polling that I've seen that's being done internally within the state. Uh, but, uh, Robert, I know I've mentioned this before, uh, but one of the things that this poll really found is, and, and we, we've been aware that this is happening, is that Republicans and Democrats are responding very differently to early voting. And uh, Democrats overwhelmingly are saying that they're going to vote early. They're going to vote absentee. They're not going to go into the polling place. Whereas Republicans are much more saying that they're much more likely, yeah, they're going to go in and vote on election day. And this helps explain what uh, President Trump has been up to, Robert. Yes. So, This is amazing. 
it is now very clear and national people are talking about this part of the Marquette poll, this and the top line. And the reason is it shows that Trump's attempt to undermine the post office illegally would have major election implications and be helpful to him. Uh, he's already suppressed the Republican vote, Matt. You've been pointing that out by saying it's doubtful, but that means he now has to suppress the Democratic vote. The only way he can do that is to muck it up so the votes aren't counted. Shocking, of course, but of course, Republicans for over a decade have been using voter suppression, disenfranchisement as with a straight face as an electoral strategy because they have no values when it comes to democracy. They really don't care if they disenfranchise people, if they get power and can do what they want. Uh, it tells you about the authoritarian impulse on the modern right. But this, the, the post office thing gets worse and worse. NPR uh, broke yesterday that they're removing uh, counting machines. The, the high volume things that move the mail. And there are more and more reports. I know it took over a, like 10 days for my little uh, birthday card and gift cards to get to my nephew just across town, but businesses are being to report these anomalies too. And this is because they're ending overtime, they're firing the managers, the top managers, uh, and this is all at the behest of Trump and his crony appointment of a, 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 a big donor. You have that. Then you have the scariness of the Marquette poll. Yeah, Matt. It's margin of error to the larger numbers, but it's within half a point of margin of error as far as this being a, a tie after Trump has had the worst uh, six months of any president since Herbert Hoover, uh, uh, really. And so that's kind of scary that it's that close. And it means if there are sudden changes, uh, the state could be in play. And Mandela Barnes is very good talking about that at M MSNBC uh, yesterday afternoon, our lieutenant governor. Yeah, I would. Uh, I certainly would agree. There's a reason why Wisconsin is getting the resources it is, uh, because it is still believed to be a close state. And the notion that somehow this is going to be a, a walk away right now and that's guaranteed is certainly not for sure. And I would agree the poll shows that. Claire, I just wanted to make sure you had an opportunity if there were any uh, MU poll thoughts or uh, things that you wanted to comment on. Yeah, there is. There is. Um, and it is not a presidential election thing that I want to talk about. Yay! <laughs> the poll also um, measured folks' approval of things like mask mandates and school um, openings and closures and all of that. Um, and I thought it was a really, really interesting how much approval the statewide mask requirement has. And um, the, the poll found that in the parts of the state that are not um, Milwaukee County, Madison, or the Fox Cities, still 60% of people agree that masks should be required in all public places. And um, the percentage of approval only increases from there in the, in the other parts of the state um, that, weren't, uh, that weren't included in that, the Milwaukee, Madison, Green Bay, and Appleton areas. So I think that is um, really incredible progress from where we were a few months ago when people were um, rejecting the idea around wearing masks. I think it's starting to show that there is a culture around taking care of one, in, one another um, through the wearing of masks. And I think it's also worth noting that this poll was about a third Democrats, Republicans, and independents. And so to have to have 60% minimum of folks in the state say, you know, we support this, um, I, I think shows that there is, is bipartisan 
um, agreement about this type of protection taking care of each other, which makes me really happy. Um, and it's also worth noting that Tony Eva's approval rating of um, how he's handling the pandemic is just heads and shoulders above where Donald Trump is. And that, that makes me really happy. Claire, that is something that I can tell you we're seeing in other polling that I have seen internally, uh, that Tony Evers' response is is really strong. And and he's even uh, doing well amongst Republicans in his rating of how he's handling this, and he's crushing with independence. So uh, that is a excellent point. I wanted to have you follow up on, on the schools and then have you also uh, talk about a report that just came out from um, from WEAC this week and from uh, Region 7, which is a part of WEAC, that looked at school district reopening. So tell us a little bit about what the poll found and where people are at and then what you know, what's the latest on school reopenings, which is happening all over the state as we speak. Yeah, so um, the Marquette poll also uh, measured people's opinion on how comfortable or uncomfortable they are letting students return to school in the fall and then broke it down by a party affiliation. And so unsurprisingly to many of us, I think um, the poll found that 74% of those um, surveyed who were Republicans were comfortable um, sending children back to school in the fall, um, 45% um, were of independents were comfortable and only 18% of Democrats were comfortable. And um, I think this shows that, you know, while we've come together on the idea of wearing masks to keep each other safe, we are absolutely not coming together yet on how to keep children safe during the, uh, during the pandemic. Um, and my, my little sort of um, soapbox that I'm going to get on around this is that I'm really, really concerned that folks believe that kids are not susceptible to this virus because to date they have not been a hugely effective population. And I think this is sort of like a, I'm going to call it like an alternate causalities thing, right? So it's like people are conflating causation and correlation, right? So like kids have not been a hugely effective population, not because they're somehow immune, but because we haven't thrown them together in a group setting yet because parents have taken a tremendous amount of care and responsibility for their children and we haven't had them in schools because it's been summer break and we shut schools down in March and yada yada. Um, so, so I'm really concerned that, uh, that there is a tremendous amount of overconfidence in children's resilience. Um, and, and I know we had a representative from a teacher's union not a while back who said something similar. Um, and so to that effect, WEAC, which is the statewide teachers union, put out um, a report around Southeastern Wisconsin school districts rating their reopening plans on a number of criteria um, to, to say, you know, here's how dangerous or risky it would be to, to, to send your children to school in this district. And um, they found that many of the districts, and unsurprisingly based on this poll, who are in more um, conservative parts of Milwaukee County and southeastern Wisconsin, um, all the way down to Kenosha and Kettle Moraine area um, had have really insufficient subpar safety precautions um, for for folks uh, or for students and and faculty coming back to work um, and I could talk more about it but I don't want to talk for just 10 minutes straight so I'll give Robert an opportunity to speak the problem we have is there's no clear guidance from the federal government there isn't from state government either 
So Tony Evers done a lot of good things, but this is not one of them. There's no there's no prevention of him giving guidelines, and at, at all or the DPI, and as a result, it's on each school district, and they don't have the capacity to know this with all the disinformation, the way they run, the superintendents, and so this just to clarify, this came from WEAC Region Seven, which represents everything in the uh, Milwaukee metro and southeast Wisconsin metro other than Milwaukee, but Milwaukee's included in the rating because they worked with MTEA. Uh, so you won't find this if you're up in Eau Claire and everything, but obviously maybe your area will do it too. But Fs for a vast majority of these suburbs, your Cudahy's, your Franklin's, your, your Greendale's, that's dangerous, your Kettle Moraine, uh, uh, your Oak Creek, your West Bend, uh, you have C's for Kenosha, St. Francis, and then you have B's, mostly safe, from Milwaukee, Racine, South Milwaukee, and West Dallas. So a lot of F's, and some of these plans, because they sent them over to me, folks from WEAC, are scary, like mask recommendations. We all know this Georgia district that opened early and had the scandalous picture of all the kids without masks put together and the, the, the young lady who took the picture was suspended at first over that until it became a national story that they've now had to close both high schools because they have COVID outbreaks. So we already know what happens. Claire's theoretical, what happens if you bring the kids together? We know it's happening in Georgia right now. So will these school district leaders across the state in areas that are redder and therefore they're more likely to have an unsafe plan and listen to the president and Betsy DeVos, the, the uh, completely unqualified billionaire health uh, education secretary, whether they uh, they need to listen. They need to look at facts here because we know we already know what's happening. We're seeing it in Georgia. Well, what's happening now is we got to go to break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back the battleground wisconsin again we're citizen action you can find us at citizenactionwi.org we are fortunate to have a guest we've been we've had a good run of guests week after week here and our uh, guest this week is emily segrist emily is running for state assembly in the suburban milwaukee area emily thank you so much for joining us thanks for having me you guys so emily you're not just running for state assembly you're also a citizen action co-op member and we really appreciate that uh, but uh, tell our listeners who may not who may know a little less about you a little bit more about you your race and why it's so important and now is one of the potential seats we could have a change in the state assembly yeah yikes <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> so thanks for having me on um i ran in 2018 definitely was a grassroots campaign. Matt can attest to this because he helped me do doors. Um, you know, we were lucky, fortunate enough that we pulled 46%. And considering this district, it's pretty gerrymandered. Um, I have four counties, Waukesha, Washington, Ozaki, and Milwaukee. So it's a pretty crazy district when you think this is just an assembly district, right? Um, and just background, military vet, I'm a nurse educator. I currently teach nursing students. And I have two kids, which I'm sure you're going to hear, a six-year-old and a three-year-old. You know, right away, I knew I was going to run again and hired uh, um, Jenny Fisher, who's my campaign manager, January of 2019. And we've just been hit the ground running. We worked on the campaign plan, redid that, started working just like, you know, having fundraisers. And we knew that the seat 
could be flippable. Um, and, you know, amongst with COVID and everything, it's definitely made things a little more interesting. But, you know, with the primary results, I've, you know, it was obviously a low voter turnout, but at the end of the day, I still was able to win against Dan Canodal, my opponent. And that's really exciting and also kind of terrifying for me because this is definitely a flippable seat. Um, and we've just been working hard with voter contacts since it's with COVID. We've been doing virtual phone banking. We've been doing um, postcards. We sent 10,000 postcards out to our district. Um, and we've been lit dropping like crazy. So, you know, with those things, we've just been working really hard trying to flip this seat. And most of you know, like we're up against super majority and we want to make sure we're protecting that. Um, and so this is a seat where, you know, we need to like put a lot of effort into it so we can protect that. So Emily, there's a lot of talk and we've all been part of generating it about how the Milwaukee suburbs are changing. They're traditionally, uh, very red, 20 points more red than the Chicago suburbs. In fact, the reddest in the whole North part of the country. And that's changing and it, uh, the Republican Party blamed it for Walker losing, that there was a shift in votes away from him. And we're seeing other indications that this continues, that Trump has made this even worse and accelerated it. So you talk a little bit. I mean, we think that a whole ton of the possible pickups in this state are now in the Milwaukee suburbs, which is not usual. That's usually the, 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 the red Walker Voss base. And that's that is gradually changing. There's going to be a lot of red people from there, but it's becoming more purple. So can you uh, you speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think we're seeing that, you know, like you were saying, Robert, um, just like Milwaukee area, like we know that Eric Brooks in the 21st is definitely a seat that is flippable. We know that Devin Draka's um, seat is definitely flippable, you know, and when you look at my seat, like it definitely was not a looked at race back in 2018. But when we look at the results, um, I actually won against Tenodal in Ozaki County. And we know that's a tough county. Even uh, Waukesha County, because I have a small portion of Menominee Falls. In that area, I've been able to, I came within like 100 votes. Those are areas where we actually have potential, that we actually have potential to make more room and you know that even goes beyond just deb and i like we know that um neil plotkin is running against alberta darling for state senate and he actually did better than her in the primary as well it's encouraging for us as candidates but it's also encouraging for voters that knowing that that you know we have a fighting chance at this and i think you know when you look at who we're running against everyone's running a hard race they're running as hard as they can we literally have like 80 days left. And so we're just putting all of our resources into hoping that we can just keep making impacts on these. Thank you so much, Emily, for laying that context for us. You um, have proven exactly why it's important to have strong candidates like you riding in these districts, because we can't pretend like they aren't winnable, um, because they absolutely are. So I know that you are um, talking to voters, and I know that's hard right now just because of the pandemic. So we have to be a little bit more creative when we doing it, when we are doing it. Um, but I'm curious what you are hearing um, that people in your district are concerned about, and how that relates to sort of your platform and what you want to prioritize when you go to Madison. Yeah, great question, and I I want to give a quick shout out because like. We've been really lucky and fortunate that we've actually had some national attention to this race. 
Um, like we have Swing Left helping us do virtual phone banking and they're calling through part of our district. So like we, you know, we've just been lucky. We've had a lot more support this time around um, to make a change. And, you know, a lot of things that we're hearing is definitely COVID has been impactful on many people. Um, and I think, you know, we need to be highlighting that just like in 2018, you guys know when the ACA, when they were attacking the ACA, that's what we were hearing on doors was healthcare and people wanted access to it. Um, and the same thing is like right now in 2020 is COVID is really impactful on many Americans, whether that's um, unemployment, they're not able to get their benefits. We know that at the federal level that um, Pre President Trump has, is um, decreasing their unemployment benefits and, you know, people are scraping by. They don't have access to health care. We're trying to figure out our education and how we're going to go with our, our, our children. Um, and so that's definitely like even lean Republicans to strong Republicans are this is affecting them. And so I think it's just important that, you know, we need to be saying like instead of having a special session at the, you know, in Wisconsin on mask mandating, we need to have a special session on how we're going to help Wisconsinites. And the fact that like my representative, Dan Canodal, hasn't made any contact with voters talking about COVID. Um, is is just showing where our leadership is at right now. So, you know, I think when we look at COVID, it ties in everything that I've been that I've been talking about, healthcare, education, even the environment. Um, you know, like we're seeing how the pandemic has actually helped our environment because people are staying indoors and they're not driving so much. We've seen a decrease in emissions. Like there's things that we need to be saying like, hey, we, we can learn stuff from the pandemic. We need to help Wisconsinites and we need to move our state forward. I want to ask you a little bit about issues because you're in touch with voters and you can share with us, you know, real grassroots information. Uh, I'm of the opinion that healthcare is a big mover. It was not a positive issue for Democrats after the ACA was passed for several cycles because the ACA didn't go far enough and Democrats ended up owning all of the continued predations of the healthcare industry on working middle class families, not small businesses. But when Trump and the Republicans and Paul Ryan overplayed their hand and tried to take health care away from 30 million people, it reversed. It's what defeated Scott Walker. And this cuts across. And then it seems like COVID-19 and the lack of a effective response, the worst in the world for any advanced industrial country, also is a cross-cutting issue, especially with voters in suburbs who are open to your message. But I want to see if you agree with that, if there are other issues you're seeing that we and our listeners wouldn't know about. Yeah, and I think with healthcare, like what I've also been highlighting is that we should have taken the expansion and everyone here on the call today knows that we should have taken that expansion and that I still, you know, we still continue to highlight that, that, you know, it would have saved our state over a billion dollars had we um, accepted the federal monies. And now we're seeing it even more exacerbated because, you know, we should not be having our health care tied to our job. We obviously know we need a better health care system. And that's just something that, like, I've been able to speak um, pretty well on just because I've been in the healthcare field for over 20 years. And, you know, all of us here know we've seen over the many years of how healthcare has just been such a political aspect. And we need to really be bringing it back and saying, like, healthcare is a human right. Like, everyone deserves access to good quality health care. And whether that is for medical or dental, vision, mental health, all of those things need to be encompassed. And we need to be talking about that more and just saying, like, 
you know, we saw how the ACA was affected by people, and now we've seen how COVID has affected people with um, healthcare. And so, you know, those are things that are really important to our voters. And I want to keep reiterating that, you know, the person that's representing us now has not done anything for them. So before we go, and we really appreciate you taking the time, can you let our listeners know you have an important fundraiser coming up this weekend and how they can get involved and help you? Yes. So we've definitely had to think outside the box for fundraisers. A couple of weeks ago, we had kayak with the candidate. So we were we were kayaking. People were able to donate for that. And then on Sunday, we have um, cycling with the candidate. Um, and so we're meeting at Brown Deer Park. The information is on my Facebook page, Emily Seegers for Wisconsin. It's from two to four. It's really easy. We're just riding like five miles up to um, a local brewery. We're all going to grab a beer and then we'll ride back. So it's like 10 miles round trip. So please check us out. Um, you know, we need a lot of financial assistance. Like I said, this is a flippable seat. Um, we're definitely going to be targeted um, like from our side and also probably from the Republican side. So, you know, even if you can't make it out for our event, we would greatly appreciate um, any financial assistance that people can do. I know it's tough during this time, but, um, you know, we're working hard to flip this seat. So I appreciate everyone's support. Well, thank you so much, Emily, for joining us. And of course, for running and leading. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you much. Thanks, everyone. And with that, we have one final message from Robert before we go. Robert? Okay, shameless plug. Uh, my best friend from UW-Madison, uh, John Gastel, is out with a new book called Gray Matters, and it's about the stealing of an election through technology. So it's on Amazon. So if you want to need some more summer reading, Gray Matters, it, uh, look at by John Gastel. And with that, we have to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We want to thank Emily Segris for joining us, and we'll see you next week at the Battleground Wisconsin.